Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, Mike, we are post Webby's, man. You got you still got that glow going on. <laughs> I, I still it's glowing like I turn out the lights just to feel <sighs> and see the glow. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. Two years in a row. We've been last year. We were honored. We we got a Webby honoree for best co-hosts, period. We went against Smartless. We went. Super well, they won the podcast of the year this year, and we went against them. So we could say that we're just as good as these Bateman and Sean Hayes and whatever. And then this year, we got a nomination in the diversity, equity, and inclusion category. And that's out of like 14,000 people that were competing. Dude, it's insane, man. So It is. It is. And well, you know, I am very glad to, to have found you, Jack. <laughs> well, it just says that our listenership loves what we do. The topics we talk about really resonate and connect with judges. And I think that these this show in particular is very necessary for conversations, especially coming into a 2024 election and the way our lives are going to be disrupted as people of color, Mike. And so today, I want to talk to you about two important topics that are going to be affecting creators of color in Hollywood. First, we're going to be discussing the ongoing negotiations between the Writers Guild of America and the movie theater system, the Hollywood system of studios, and the potential impact for creators of color. And Mike, we're going to be diving into a topic that is very personal to me, which is the invisible Latino renaissance that is happening in America right now, and the lack of recognition it's receiving from legacy mainstream media. We're going to discuss the Writers Guild strike. And for those who, let's just say, why should I care about the WGA <laughs> right. strike? Why does that even matter to me? How will I be mm -hmm. affected? Why should I even listen to this podcast? Well, a couple things. First of all, a strike can last for a very long time. The last, the last time we had a strike, it lasted 153 days. And you may not remember now, or you may not realize now why there were so many shows that ended badly, movies that didn't work out well, okay, <laughs> things like that. But more importantly for writers and just for, for viewers, let me put it like that. You're going to notice first, if the strike happens, late night television, because all those writers who write all those monologues That's right. will not they will not be working. So that means that it's going to feel like COVID again, right? It's exactly. It's going to feel like COVID again, where people are riffing and just kind of making it up and just, you know, how do we put this together? But then you're also going to see the effect on daytime television because daytime television is not prepared in as far in advance as movies and TV and big TV, big TV movies. You're not going to care about, you're not, you're not going to even notice that for like at least a half a year. And they depend on writers live in real time to be writing immediately. Correct. Correct. And 
What you're also probably going to see is certain movies release dates may get stretched out a little more because, you know, we don't have content to fill it or we couldn't finish this. So there are a lot of of things that have affected Writer's Strike. I don't want to go into all the shows that you watched and Mm -hmm. said, wow, what happened? Why did they fall off the ledge here? But it's generally because of the Writer's Strike. So, but what we want to discuss is not just how it will affect you as a viewer, but how will it affect writers of color? Exactly, Mike. And I think here is where we really kind of just got to break down what the situation is, because whatever is happening to writers right now, and I'm talking in general, it's not as bad as what's about to happen to writers of color, directors of color, producers of color, any creative of color. Anytime there's a writer strike that comes in, which I believe is like every three years they have to negotiate, but anytime they're willing to walk out is because some sort of technological breakthrough has come in. Absolutely. And Mike, you know that the biggest technological breakthrough in the last couple of maybe months has been AI. Now, you're a writer, Mike. You've written film, you've written for now TV. I know that you have a project that's been shopped at a major studio. My question to you is, is this a real threat about this AI thing? Because I've been hearing about it. Dude, you just gave me a really (laughs) scary thought there. You gave me a scary (laughs) thought. But go ahead, go ahead. Finish your question, please. I just want to know from your perspective as a writer, you're the creative, Mike, not the AI. The IA will never be able to reproduce Lawrence of Arabia, Queen and Slim. It'll never be able to reproduce some of the great classics of movie history just because you gave it a text prompt. The brain is still more capable than AI. So why are you and your brethren of writers afraid? Dude, let me just tell you something. You just gave me a really scary concept because I am a writer, so my mind goes there. But let me let me go back to your original question. First of all, the thing about AI is that AI is a tool. It's like anything else. It, it's a tool. It helps assist you when you're doing a search. It'll assist you when you're when you're writing, when you're coming up with people are using it for all kinds of things when it comes to writing. So the more we get used to AI, the more when I say we, meaning those who either consume what AI has created or AI has co-created, the more normalized whatever AI's contributions will be. Now, AI, as you know, machine learning, all of that, it's all really kind of regurgitations and Mm -hmm. imitations of what has come before. Now, it could be argued that art is always an imitation or an echo of what has come before. It could be argued that on the human level, On the AI level, it'll be even more precise. You say we can't recreate Lawrence of Arabia. Well, if you've trained an AI to write screenplays and you fed in the best screenplays of all time and you said, give me an epic. Now, the AI would turn around and give you something. It'll be generic. Well, but here's the thing. We would perhaps, if AI continues to be used, we would become accustomed to that genericism. This is what they're saying about Marvel movies. They become normalized. There's a certain bombasticness and, and, and type of storytelling and ridiculousness and outrageousness, this cartooniness. I don't even know if that's a word to those movies that real filmmakers are like, that's not a movie. That's not even a film. But it's become normalized. It's become there's tons of TV shows. My counter argument to that, Mike, though, is that there's always going to be a Mike Sargent. That's like, 
Nah, I don't like generic trash. Absolutely. I don't watch trash. I watch really good stuff and I demand really good stuff. And so where are you going to go for that? AI? Well, here's the thing. That will exist too. I'm saying they will always coexist. The same time you have all the Marvel movies, you'll have independent. What was that Stallone piece of crap that he did? How strong are you? Not as strong as I once was. Things start to fall apart when you stop caring. And I stopped caring a long time ago. You'll have B-movies, superhero movies. All I'm saying is AI could easily, easily become a dominant force in all of screenwriting, all of film, all of television, without us even knowing. Now, that's right, one. Right. That's one. Right. But the second part is, here's the scary thought you just gave me. If this has gone on, let's say they come to the table, right? And let's say the writer's strike, which, which right now is all about reaching an agreement. Begins on May 1st, by the way. Begins on May 1st. A new, what they call a minimum basic agreement, an MBA. It's like a minimum wage for writer's jobs, okay? Right. right. Now, if, if they can negotiate that, but meanwhile, AI starts to become part of it, okay? <laughs> who's to say, just like what we were talking about before, who's to say that they don't go, okay, writers go on strike? We've got the AIs. They'll continue writing the episode. They've got all the outlines. Our writer's room has an AI in it anyway, so let the AI finish. Oh my God, Mike, I could just see a tenebrous musical bed right underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> the dark age of AI I'm is just coming. Saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> AI can replace us. Mate, so are you are you alluding that while this strike is happening, that the studios are already working on some high-level AI to take over if this goes on for too long? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it is if if you and I could discuss this here and we have no power to make that happen or make it not happen. Somebody else could be discussing it, could be bringing it up. How does any great invention go bad? How does any great, you know, any great thing that's ever been created, democracy, whatever, how does it go bad? It goes bad because some people realize, hey, we could totally take advantage of this. The other issue, and I think it's the second most crucial point that is happening here, is the residuals. So let me explain. If you look at the movie theater model that's been going on for about 100 years, it really is all about data and statistics of how creators know exactly how a movie did. So if a movie goes from movie theater to TV to cable to DVD, those are called extensions of that one original IP. So every time it's played somewhere else, it's a royalty. It's a residual. That's what that is called. Every time, it's like music. Every time a song is played over and over again on a radio show, you get a payment from that. But what happens with streaming is this. Netflix owns the IP and doesn't license it anywhere else. DVDs this week became obsolete. I think Netflix eliminated and deleted that part of their business now. So... If you create something for Netflix and Netflix pays you up front 
and doesn't tell you in any way how the show did, who watched it, are there any bonus for performance metrics, you know, there's no data to let the creator know how the show is doing, therefore how to pay them more or less or whatever it may be. So I think that because of the lack of information being given by streaming platforms to creators, they can create their own payment system. And I know a writer, huge Hollywood writer. Dude, this guy is one of the biggest names in Hollywood right now. The guy is hot right now. And he was telling me a story that he has a movie on one of the major big platforms. And it was considered the number one most viewed movie of that platform. And he says that if this were in movie, he would have gotten triple of the amount. But because of the streaming residuals, he got a humiliating, embarrassing number. And he says, you cannot sustain a career based off of this. And he was a creator of color. And he's hot right now. So if he's complaining about that, Mike, Imagine other creators of color just coming into the business. Like, you've been hearing about these mini rooms, right? No, talk to me. What's a mini room? So the way I understand the way the mini rooms works is a lot of these studios are like, why should I give like $1.5 million for an idea and something I haven't seen yet? Like, I'm giving them the money so they can produce the pilot and then once I see the pilot, I can say yes or no. But if I don't like it, I just wasted $1.5 million or like whatever it is on that. How is that good business? I've always wondered that. There must be a lot of money in Hollywood that they can just like throw away. But now that money is lacking the and everybody's cutting. Look what Di Disney, I think, cut like 7,000 jobs and they're still laying off people. So... I think that these guys decided, hey, why don't we do this? If there's an idea, we would like a mini room of like maybe five writers that write the script and then we have a better idea whether we should tell the showrunner, director, writer, producer if they should go with it. Except that the writers in that mini room do not then evolve into the new show. They are just like independent contractors, freelancers for that mini room. But then the writers take the best stuff they have and then they use it without any of the credit, without any of the payments, without any of the residuals, without any of the royalties. So these guys are like, wait a minute. So I'm coming in just like for like three months and then I'm out and you're not really paying me top dollar? Nope. All right, we're going to fight about that. So it seems that all of these issues will create a ripple effect in the whole industry. I think within a four or five month period, Mike, all of us are going to be going, why am I watching Canadian shows? Why am I watching South Korean shows so much? Are there any American shows being created? Maybe the lack of black and Latino, if we're already struggling in a peak era, Mike, we might become a country that just watches international shows for the rest of 2023 and 24.
Well, I don't think it'll happen that fast. I think it'll probably be towards the beginning of 2024 if it lasts that long. Netflix already put in $2.5 billion that they, they, Today, I think they announced. They're going to be investing in South Korean content for the next four years for the price of $2.5 billion. Smart on their part, but I think these guys are preparing for a long strike. Here's the thing about what you just told me with the mini rooms, because none of that's a shock. Historically, artists are always taken advantage of in every industry. And I think writers more than, than anything, maybe writers and actors, I think more than anything. But everything you told me about that scenario where they bring in these writers who are not going to be getting that contract work, will not be part of the main writer's room. They can hire them. They may not even have to be part of the writer's guild. They may just hire non-guild writers. Who knows? It's just a pilot. It's a mini room. There are no rules. It's a whole new thing. But what if those writers write those episodes, write that pilot, write that outline, and then you just, as they're writing, you give them a software they have to write it in that, that's directly connected to the AI. And then the AI... <laughs> could just finish out the season oh my god dude why wouldn't they that's as you said that's good business it is but then again you have the dga you have the producers guild they're going okay okay we see what's going on here studios these guys are our cousins these guys are family don't you know that we hang out at home? You know, we, we go out to with our wives or kids to concerts. And these guys are our brothers and sisters. You screw them over, you screw us over. And then the whole Hollywood system collapses, Mike. So I think that the studios are going to be held hostage, brother. I hope I so. I think that if the directors and the producers and the writers say, we will not be creating shit anymore. Screw you. We're going to create our own new Hollywood. <gasps> now that I'm saying that, Mike. What if all the directors, all the creators got together and said, we're going to create a new Hollywood? What's interesting is that that has actually happened a, a couple times in, in regards to the, in, in sectors of the industry. I mean, United Artists was a series of artists, Charlie Chaplin, some other artists who got together and said, look, to hell with whatever the big studios were at the time, MGM, whatnot. But what I love about what you're saying, Jack, is, and, and again, I hope you're right. <laughs> I think you're a bit more of an optimist than me. I'm not as oh, optimistic. Oh. I, I, I read too much science fiction. But that same philosophy of solidarity is the reason we do this show. Because like what you said, and this is something that, that, that Representative Jones has been saying, if you come for one of us, you come for all of us. Mm -hmm. So if you try to screw the writers, you're also screwing the directors. You're also screwing the directors. All these folks will be affected. If there's a shutdown, everybody in Hollywood will be affected. Everybody behind the scenes, Every actor, every director, every producer will tell you. Exactly. You do not have a story if you don't have a writer. You, I, I would say that the foundation of any story is the writing first, before the director, before the acting, before anything. They are the most crucial component of any creative aspect of anything, of the creative form. But this, the, the system does not want you to know that. Ha-ha! <laughs> now that's the issue. So here's my final thing on this, Mike. 
how do you think we're going to go to strike on May 1st? And if so, how long do you think this is going to last? My prediction is that we will go on strike. And my prediction is that it won't last for too long because I do think that the beast is even bigger now than it's ever been. And yes, you can pull content from different countries and you can, and, and Netflix has shown us that there's plenty of underserved audiences, plenty of underserved parts of our population, but there's also plenty of content that we have never seen in this country. So Netflix has shown us that, but that's just Netflix. Man cannot exist on Netflix alone. So I do think that there will be that pressure you alluded to where the Hollywood's going to have to bend because at the end of the day, it's not just writers, it's electricians, caterers, set dressers, background actors. And who do you think all those people are? That's right. And this is why it's concerning for people of color and creators of color who are already underrepresented in the industry. So if writers and everybody else, if all creators, white general creators are fighting for residuals, for fair work, for the ability to sustain a career in this business, imagine if you're black or Latino. Imagine if you're trans. Imagine if you're a rookie just getting into the business and you're a black woman who's gay. Will they support those people to have careers in this business? That's what we're fighting for here. Billie Jean, Michael Jackson told us to take his advice and remember to always think twice. So that's what we're doing. We began to sell a million copies a week. It just exploded and went on to another level. Michael Jackson was accused of child molestation for the first time in 1993. This is the story of what came before and what came after. I'm a mother. And I remember being aghast. Can this be true? We could be watching the downfall of a superstar. I'm Leon Nafok. And I'm Jace Smooth. Think Twice is an attempt to reconcile our conflicted emotions about Michael Jackson, the man, with our deep-seated love of his art. Listen to Think Twice, Michael Jackson on Audible and Amazon Music. At this current moment, the Latino culture in America is having a renaissance. And the renaissance is so huge. It is so visible that you can't deny it any longer. People just know. But here's my beef, and this is why I'm writing this article. As a Latino, I see it everywhere. Regional Mexican music is the number one musical genre, regardless of language, on the planet. Bachata, Mexican corridos, are this week on the Jimmy Fallon show alone, are going to be on singing in Spanish. Shakira was recently uh, on, the, on the Tonight Show, singing in Spanish. But you know who's not talking about this, Mike? The legacy media, mainstream media, the New York Times. I've scoured 
the internet, for all the legacy media, the Times, Vanity Fair, all the Condé Nast, all the Hearst, every single major intellectual media platform in English to talk about this Latino renaissance that I am seeing in current time. Bad Bunny is headlining Coachella. Becky G, Latin American Music Awards, television, Aubrey Plaza, Jenna Ortega, Ramon Rodriguez, Gina Rodriguez. All these people are headlining hit shows. Some of these people... You didn't even mention Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, the last of us, Mr. Daddy, cover of GQ, cover of... I mean, Ana de Armas. She was just with Chris Evans and Ghosted on Netflix. We are everywhere, Mike. But where is the article? Where is the definitive article from an English language culture? Rolling Stone, where is the cover that says the Latino, the second coming of the Latino boom is here? The sequel has arrived. We are currently transforming and shaping American culture. The fabric of this country is currently being changed in almost every facet. AOC in politics, in TV, film. Mike, we're here. We're about to get Blue Beetle, a superhero. We're about to get Marvel with El Muerto and Bad Bunny. So why, Mike? And here's my first question, because I have some thoughts here. But why do you think that mainstream media has stayed quiet about this? Because to me, the damage of not putting us on the front pages of these milestones, of these triumphs, of these victories, of these historic record-breaking moments. How do you not talk about it? Why are you evading it? Why are you ignoring us? What do we do to you? In order for us to be seen as equal in this society, we have to be recognized by anybody. And Mike, you know I'm going to tell you something too. This is also black media. You guys always ignore us. Go on the Grio. Go on the Root. Go on the Black News Network. Where are we? Why don't we exist in black media? Essence doesn't cover us. Now, you could say, well, Jack, you don't cover the black you know, people either. I go, yeah, Mike, but you know what we do? With Latino people in particular, when we grow up, we don't know shit about Latino history. We don't know shit about us. But you know who we do know about? We know more about white people than white people. And in this show, we have proven that black people don't know much about Latino history. But ask a Latino if they know about black history. And clearly, we don't need white history because that's the default. So we're being ignored from every mainstream media Facet, Mike. And this is my beef. Why is this happening? One of the questions you ask is, what have we done to white people, to white media, to, to mainstream media, to legacy media, that they would not want to acknowledge us? And that acknowledgement and that legitimacy is the, is the crux of everything I'm going to say here. Because that acknowledgement is what everything hinges on in culture. Acknowledging something and the way in which you acknowledge it. Do you acknowledge it to legitimize it? Are you at the Met? Okay, then you're real art, okay? You could be at every Latino 
African cultural place you want. But until you get into that legitimate acknowledged by the white power structure institution, you're not really art in the eyes of legacy artist tastemakers. There are only 15 billionaires that own like all the American media. Mm -hmm. 15 people. Do you think any of them are black or Latino? No. Okay. No. So that's one. Two, what did, what did Latinos do? What have Latinos done? Well, for all their invisibility, they have taken over for all of their lack of acknowledgement, for all of their lack of representation in government. They have taken over. They've taken over in so many aspects of our culture and the culture influences the culture. So why would you be afraid of a force that's taking over? I, I don't think I have to answer that. What are most white supremacists afraid of? They're not banning abortions to create more brown and black kids. That's not why they're doing it. What do they chant? You will not replace us. At the highest levels of Nazism, it's all about being afraid of becoming not dominant, not in control. And we all know where Latinos are headed. Okay. Now, the other thing in terms of, of, of black culture, why do you not learn about Latino culture? I think same thing. It, it's like, when are, are men ever going to tell women that they have more power in the relationship than the man? No, you're never going to tell a woman. You know, no matter, even though the social contract tells you, you have to ask the woman out. You have to ask the woman to, 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 to sleep with you. You have to be the one, but men are not going to acknowledge the power women have, even though men are the ones who are going to go and, and throw money just to look at a, a naked woman. So I think the same thing that those who are in power don't want to acknowledge those who could easily take over just like, mm -hmm. You know, why do you not want your slaves to know about a slave revolt? So, <laughs> I, I, you know, blacks are still always going to be a minority. That they're, they're always going to be. They're always going to be a minority in this country. They're never going to take over. But then we are a minority too, Mike, and we're the second largest minority. Don't you think that a black brown news network would be much more watched than just a black one or just a Latino one? Okay, but who's going to start that network? Well, who's the visionary behind it? Mike Sargent and Jack Rico here? <laughs> I mean, maybe we started? Within the culture like this, even something like BET, Black-owned, eventually, they sold out to a white company. I mean, this is just what happened. Who's running Univision? A white guy. Exactly. So, so the point I'm making is, if the media and, and images are, are controlled by a power structure, if the laws are created by a power structure, if this is the country we live in, and at the same time, certain aspects of black culture have been legitimized. They had no choice because white people love it. They, they have to acknowledge Michael Jackson. They have to acknowledge hip hop. They have to acknowledge all these contributions of blacks because blacks, you can't hide being black. Most blacks cannot hide it. So they have to be out front. White facing Latino folks can hide it. They can become like a Nori Martinez. They can become everything that they were fighting to get past. They can then become that. So in my opinion, it, it just makes sense that Latinos are not going to learn about themselves because why would you want to empower something that could take over? So I agree with everything you said, and I do think there are other few potential factors at play here. I think one of the biggest reasons is profit motives and this ratings obsession 
with these companies. If you really think about social media and the, and, like, why do you think media is tanking so bad? It's because a lot of media depended on social media for audience growth. If you have a model of business where you're constantly growing and the, and the year that you don't grow, they fucking pull the plug on you? Dude, the anxiety levels are through the roof. It's like, what are we doing with journalism? Journalism cannot be plugged into advertising because it corrupts the essential nature of journalism. The whole concept of journalism is almost to be free. Now, I don't know where we're going to get that money from. Are, are we going to do it through crowdsourcing for the rest of our lives? Are people funding the journalism industry? Is the government funding much like welfare programs and shit like that? Maybe is there a budget specifically? But then government, it would be a state-owned like industry. So as you can see, we can't be depending on billionaires constantly reviving or rescuing the journalism, the, the, the mainstream media industry, man. So it becomes really difficult as a Latino when you're looking at your people crush it, when you're looking at the second largest demographic in the United States with a 1.7 trillion purchasing power, when you see us taking over music television, movies, where the mainstream stars are Latino, and you don't talk about us? You want to completely ignore us? I think that the damage that that does to us is that, and studies have been proven on this, you diminish us. You start slowly erasing us. Our self-esteem is gone through shit. We depend on white validation and black validation for everything. You start creating a story that even if we are at your level, your lack of acknowledgement generationally, two, three generations down, you're going to have the largest population in the United States be the most insignificant population of the United States. And this is why it's so important for mainstream media to acknowledge us. Mike, I feel that we have to be all in. I think that when mainstream media looks at their editorial room, they're looking at their staff, they have to know that there needs to be Latinos in that editorial room. They also need to know that the stories that are going to be told on a daily basis with frequency need to be Latino, need to be black, and need to be everybody, not just white. You know, it's funny. I just think that these guys think we're already mainstream. And so it's like, yo, man, you already, you already made it. So why talk to you in some sort of distinctive, unique way? Like no one needs any real awareness of what you're doing anymore, you know? But my argument against that is like, dude, we're still going through a struggle. You, by you not acknowledging that we're having a moment, you're not acknowledging our ongoing struggles for representation and influence in this country. You're not talking about the less than 7% Latinos that are protagonists in their own stories on film or TV. You're not discussing the fact that a Mexican corrido reached number one on the planet 
And that even though Jimmy Fallon is having him on Friday night singing in Spanish, a corrido, that the New York Times won't, won't acknowledge it, won't recognize it. And that makes me feel really sad, man. Because I do think it's discrimination. I do think it's racism. But it's also like subconscious as opposed to, because I don't think they're going, yeah, we're racist. We love to punish Latino people. I agree with you. I don't think it's specifically out and out racism as more of as it is bias. And that bias is not just in the opinions. Like what I also am drawing from what you're saying, like, okay, who at the Times, who at Forbes, whoever, who is going to write that article? Who that's black or Latino that's working there that can get front page, front cover is going to write that article. And if there is that one person there, have they pitched it? I, I can tell you from where I work, I've heard the story a bazillion times that the people, I, I work for a, a Latino owned company and the Latino journalists there have all given me a variation on, I used to work at a plate, a white owned media, and I always had to struggle to get them to think that the stories that I pitched were of any significance. Wow, dude. So look. If we had to play out in the newsroom, the way this would play out and the way, if you were a fly in a wall, like in a newsroom and you were hearing these conversations that are happening at these <laughs> legacy media companies, like, how do you think it would go? It could be like, Hey, you know, Latinos are, are taking over, you know, there's, there's this, there's that bad bunnies leading Coachella. There's this, there's that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Brittany is pregnant. <laughs> Put that on the cover. <laughs> Look, I think it would be something like this. Hey, John. So how are you doing this morning? So guess what? My kids are all over this, this, this corrido Mexican stuff. It's like, it's all over the place. They want to like sing Mexican stuff. Should we probably put out more Latino stuff on, on our platform? What do you think? Nah, your kids don't read our, our publication. But they're they're digesting it on TikTok. Yeah, but the country's about to be on TikTok, so. <laughs> I also think that so one of those people would say something like, "The problem with Latinos is that yeah, they're the second largest and everything else, but do you think that their stories will connect with our white stories? Do you think that our advertisers who are white?" want to hear more Latino stories, more traditional stories? Do you think that we're going to make a lot more money through the Latino audience than the white audience? And I think that it comes down to that, Mike. I think it's that simple. I think these guys look at the audience and they go, how do we maximize audience and how do we maximize reach and how do we maximize profits and ratings? If it's just on a business level, they would hide behind those factors to say that white people don't want to consume anything else on a frequent level that isn't their stories. Dude, and that's so why the, Fox the, has been the, the number one network in this country. Mike, but, but Fox is Republican and it's MAGA. This is the Democratic mainstream media outlets. These are liberals. So if your liberal base, if your liberal press is ignoring you, imagine the Republican one. Because Republican Hispanics aren't also featured at Newsmax or OAN or Fox News or Breitbart. 
You don't see a Hispanic on the cover of The Nation or, 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 or The Week. Dude, we're having an invisible renaissance that no one seems to be recognized. That's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and now we're on YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.